Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Tom, Francis, how are you guys doing this week? Yeah, we're good. It's, uh, it's good to be back. This last week has felt like it's flown by. I feel like we only just sat down to do last week's podcast and now we're back. So we're getting back into the uh, into the swing of things and I'm excited for another fun-filled podcast. This week has flown by. It's October, like now, basically. Where's this year gone? Never mind the week. Where's the year gone? It's winter's, crazy. Winter's starting. It's official. Summer's gone. Yeah. Bring on winter. But Francis, how are you doing? I am very well. I was going to say this is our first podcast back because we had a couple of weeks where everyone was doing their own thing. No, we did last busy. week. Yeah, but this is the thing I was going to say. It's just time has flown by so quickly that I completely forgot that we did one last week, didn't we? But no, I'm very happy to be back here again with you guys and looking forward to the topics uh, we're planning to discuss today. Awesome. And speaking of topics, heck of a segue, uh, what are you guys going to be talking about today, uh, Francis? So today I'm going to be talking about Coinbase and how it has registered as a crypto exchange with the Bank of Spain, continuing its international expansion. Awesome. And Tom, what are you going to be talking about today? Today, I'm going to be covering uncoordinated UK grant schemes that are causing confusion about home energy efficiency options. If I can get my words out. Very nice. Very nice. Um, And I'm going to be looking at how firms worth under $5 billion need more help in ESG assurance uh, from a new survey from KPMG. Um, I mean, I'll be diplomatic this week. Who wants to go first? Tom Tom just looked and was like, go on, you, you go first. He, he was just like, I'm not going first this week. It's all yours. I don't want the spotlight. Well, yeah. So the article that I decided to bring to the table today, as I said, is Coinbase and it's moved to Spain. And I think the reason I thought this was such an interesting article is that this isn't the first time we've heard Coinbase discussing its plans to really sort of move out of the US. I mean... When you think about Coinbase, it is a global exchange and it is used everywhere. But I think sort of the regulations that are happening in the US and the sort of problems, I say problems in sort of quotation marks because some people might say that they're needed discussions. Other people are going to say that it's just a problem and that it's just not necessary and that it's over-regulating the space. I mean, it's up for debate, really. I mean, maybe that's something you guys want to chime in on later if you think it is too much in the US. But the reason I thought this was interesting is because we've heard about Coinbase looking to, I believe it was Gibraltar, I might be mistaken. Let me just double check. But the Coinbase has been in talks of, of moving abroad already. It was Bermuda, sorry, not Gibraltar. And anyway, so now they have registered as a crypto exchange with the Bank of Spain, which essentially is bringing their their facilities and, and their app and sort of their platform to a very crypto-friendly country because the the article, in fact, says or has revealed that around 29% of adults in Spain believe crypto is the future of finance. And this is this comes at a time when, you know, crypto is really been in, in the bad press recently. I mean, you can think about how many times we've heard. I mean, for example, the FCA in, in the UK, for example, has has declared that cryptos can't use banking terminology anymore and they need to use sort of their own their own terms because they they don't have the right to really call themselves banks in that terms the sort of 
as we know them traditionally to be. So saying stuff like a crypto bank is no longer allowed. And then the Hong Kong Monetary Authority has also done something very similar. And it's really cracking down on on sort of bad terminology and like this marketing that that these crypto firms have. So I thought it was really interesting to hear about, you know, a country that is still very pro crypto, sort of embracing Coinbase. And of course, there was the the Mika regulation that was passed in the in Europe, the marketing crypto assets regulation, which sort of has encouraged crypto adoption. So I just thought it was a very interesting article to sort of really highlight how despite the negative press and despite all the problems that i mean i remember writing an article about the sec versus coinbase and binance for example but despite all of this the con- the company's still being very proactive and looking for for markets where it's it's being welcomed so i wanted to throw it to you guys to get your thoughts on is this something that we might see from other countries or is this an exception because spain is so pro crypto I, I don't know i wanted to hear your thoughts tom i'll go to you first yeah i think when i was looking into this article it did actually surprise me some of the stats that were sort of related to it the fact that so many people in spain are still quite pro crypto um one of the stats was 60.7 percent of spanish citizens are motivated to buy cryptocurrency as long-term investments and 35.7 percent are thinking about using them to make payments I thought that was really significant because other regions, think about in the UK, we kind of had this big crypto boom, sort of pro-crypto sort of era almost during COVID, uh, especially during lockdown. And that seems to have drastically died down with a lot of negative press when it comes to crypto. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting time because obviously one of the reasons obviously Coinbase might have expanded into Spain is because this positive kind of connotations regarding crypto in the region. That is quite surprising. And as you said, the uh, is it Mika or Mica regulations? I don't, I'm not sure how people pronounce it, but they're quite significant in the fact that they are providing a more accepting space for, for crypto firms across Europe. And it's kind of at a time now where that is taking the first step, whereas other, as you said, other jurisdictions haven't quite done that. And it'd be interesting to see how the likes of even the UK or America are going to respond to try and grab some of that crypto industry back uh, and retain a lot of control in that industry. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting topic and something that we, uh, we're bound to see a bit of a tug-of-war tug situation um, between different jurisdictions. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I really agree with everything that you said there. Polly, what, what are your thoughts? I think, I, I mean, I kind of echo uh, what Tom said, what you said. I'm really surprised um uh, maybe that's not the right word but i'm i'm quite i was quite uh, surprised to see just the the numbers about crypto adoption within spain and how many people really are uh using crypto in their everyday life and that that really surprised me like as you were saying about you know like the negative press and how kind of the crypto buzz i do think has died down a little bit just sort of in general life at least i'm not hearing it as much as i was before sort of just in in general so the fact that so much of spain is pro crypto um is wild to me and yeah having uh the the 60 percent of spanish citizens buying cryptocurrencies for long-term investments and it being the second most popular payment method um is really wild to me because 
I don't know. I'm I'm not a crypto person in the slightest. So even though obviously with the job I have, I know a little bit about crypto, it still surprises me that people use it because it just seems so crazy to me. And so, I mean, I just don't get it at all, um, which is my own problem. Um, but I mean, it's great to see, um, you know, like different places moving out and I think, I mean, again, Spain seems like uh, an interesting choice for um, a base. Like you don't really hear much fintech news coming from Spain, I don't think, just generally speaking. So I think it's great to see Coinbase moving into there. And yeah, it's hopefully we'll see a lot more positive crypto news coming um, at the moment. And, you know, with everything that's happening right now with regulation, it will hopefully be a better place for consumers to actually get into crypto yeah absolutely and i think that brings sort of brings it onto a nice topic i mean this is sort of going past the article now and sort of just opening the floor for a bit of a discussion with you guys but i think as well one of like the big things is you know when we had that crypto hype from a few years ago i feel like a lot of people who weren't in the know really got involved and perhaps that's why we saw so much press about it whereas now the majority of the people who are still sort of very vocal about crypto, let's say, are the ones who are very knowledgeable about it and who know, they know sort of blockchain and they understand cryptos, they understand stable coins and they understand sort of um, CBDCs, for example. Whereas these terms for, for your newcomer investor might be very challenging. And as you mentioned, it is being used for different things now. There's the the payment side of things. There's the investment side of things. So I think all these things are actually quite confusing for for somebody new in the space. And perhaps that's why it's died down a bit. I mean, just quickly before we move on to to another article, I just wanted to sort of see your guys' thoughts. If if you really agreed with that, if that is the case, it is just a it is just a case of that it's only the people that are in the know that are really left in in the industry, which is perhaps why the the hype around it has died down, if either of you want to comment on that. I think that's an interesting idea and one that could be completely valid. I mean, from my perspective, obviously, like, take away the fact that I am a fintech journalist. I, like, tried to get into crypto. I bought, like, a fiver's worth of crypto on a thing and then, like, nothing happened. Uh, and I don't know, maybe I did it wrong. I probably did it wrong or something, or I wasn't really reading into it properly, but I bought my £5 worth of crypto and it went down a little bit and then it went back up a little bit and just nothing seemed to happen. So I sold it, got rid of it, and then that, that was like my last foray into crypto. So I definitely think you could be onto something there um, because there are, I think there are quite a lot of barriers to crypto um, in terms of a lot of, like you say, all the words you use, but just in general, like, what it is and how you use it because i mean like there's so many different ways you can use cryptocurrency whether it's like an investment or as a payment method i think unless you know what you're doing you may have done what i did and like gave it a go got nothing from it and then had enough so i i think yeah i think there's definitely some something there with your theory another thing about it as well is the idea of it is almost a too good to be true get get rich quick type of thing which is i imagine what happened with you right because at the time it was there's this incredibly volatile well, currency. that's kind of all you heard about it was exactly you know, it was like it will turn around in two days and double your yeah. your investment or, and then what the reality of it is is that it, no it does take a very long it's like time like this guy in brazil has two million worth of crypto on a hard drive 
or things yeah. like that. All you ever heard about it, or on, like on TikTok or anything like that, it was always just how much money you will make from crypto. And obviously, exactly. you probably have to put a lot of money in it in the first place to get a lot of money out of it. So uh, my Fiverr probably wasn't really going anywhere anyway. But I think yeah. as well, it was the idea that people put a Fiverr in Bitcoin in 2017 and then they were in the millions. And then there was this idea that that would also happen overnight. And it was like, it doesn't really work like that, does it? It does. It's a very long process. And I mean, 2017 wasn't two, three years ago, like we all think it is. It was, you know, seven years ago now, like, or six years ago. I don't know how to do maths, apparently. That's concerning. But um, I'm just going to blame it on the fact I thought we were in 2024 for some weird reason. We've seen too much press about 2024. That's that's my excuse. But anyways, I'm going to stop digging myself a hole and we'll move on. <laughs> I'm happy to uh, to jump in. I think we've both got ESG-related articles coming up, so mine's a bit more consumer-focused, I think. But basically, uh, the article that I'm going to be focusing on is from a report from the efficiency innovation platform, Snug, which basically has found that 75% of all Brits that are looking to sell their property within the next 12 months are currently considering energy efficiency changes to increase the property's value. Um, and basically, as we're all aware by now, the mortgage rates have been on the rise, which is stopping potential buyers from entering the market. And this has actually caused average house prices to drop. And because of this, people are trying to think of ways they can recoup that value that their houses had previously when they sold them. And one of the ways that they're looking to do this is by improving their en energy efficiency of their houses before they sell their home and make it a more attractive investment for whoever's looking to buy. And sort of regarding this, the sort of most popular reasons to do this were 74% of people thought it would reduce their environmental impact and 75% thought it would save money on bills. But basically 61% of likely sellers in the next year revealed that they've previously researched government grants for home heating improvements but ended up just really confused about whether they were eligible or not. And in the end, 65% assumed that they're just not eligible at all, while 69% falsely believe that grants for home heating improvements are only available for people with low incomes. And in its report, Snug draws attention to the fact that there's uh, upgrade schemes like the Boiler Upgrade Scheme, which can provide grants of up to £7,500 towards the cost of installing a heat pump uh, as a sort of replacement for your existing more inefficient gas boiler. But 68% of people, I realize I'm throwing out a lot of percentages out that are quite similar, uh, basically say that they're not going to make energy improvements to their home unless they had a government grant. And most people believe that the government should be covering the cost of replacing their gas boilers with heat pumps. And that just really got me thinking about the fact that there's this sort of promise of, oh, if you make your house more energy efficient if you installed like some heat pumps into your home you're going to be saving money on your bills but for most people the financial outlay in the first place is you know it's, it's double triple quadruple of what it would be to just get a replacement gas boiler most people can't afford that just initial financial outlay and it just doesn't make much sense for them so i just wanted to get yours guys take on what you thought the solution is for this really do you think there's space for fintechs to get involved to provide finance and options is it down to the government to encourage people to you know 
finance this themselves or should they be providing more grants, making it more obvious what grants are available to people? Basically, what, what do you guys think is the solution? Polly, I'll come to you first. Yeah, that's a really um, interesting idea. And I definitely think there's room here for fintech to get involved. I think what we always say is how fintech works best when it's operating inside a niche. And I think this is a niche where there's a bit of a gap in the market here that really could that really could be um, a good opportunity for a fintech to kind of waltz in and snap snap that up. Um, I do think there does need to be something done by the government. Uh, I mean, like we always say, knowledge. Obviously, I know usually we talk about like financial education, but in this way, I think there's definitely needs to be some education around just sort of energy efficiency and like how things work and what things do. But I definitely think there's room here for fintech to come in and really start changing the game especially when it comes to grants or other like sort of green finance options i know that's something that we hear a lot in business um you can get a lot of green finance options that are aimed towards the business sector but i don't actually know how many there are that are aimed towards the consumer sector and i think that could be a really interesting um little niche to operate out of and actually do a bit of good at the same time as we're always talking about like fintech doing good and esg um and especially with you know the current situation um in terms of sort of bills energy rates and things like that i think there's potential here which is quite an exciting thought yeah i agree and i think one of the things that i found quite interesting is that Snug found that only 35% of people in Britain understand how energy efficient heat pumps work. And they can add me to that because I haven't got a clue either. Um, but it, you know, if you don't understand something, you're not going to see the value of putting it in. And that kind of got me thinking, one, how do they work and, and what are the, the benefits? Um, and I realized that there's a, probably a pretty good reason why people aren't turning to these kind of options because uh, I, I found that a, a a stat from Octopus Energy, which says that in a poorly insulated home, it could actually end up costing as much as 40% more to run a heat pump rather than a traditional gas boiler. So for some people, the promise of cheaper bills could actually not be a fact at all. And they could end up installing this for seven to 15 grand and end up actually seeing increased outlay when they're paying their bills. So I think it's really interesting that people are educated, but they're also not sold a dream as it were about what the promise of these kind of more efficient uh environmentally green options are and, and what the benefits are going to be for them but uh i'll come to you francis what have uh what were you thinking about this i think in response to your original question of like who can re who should be doing more if it's the consumers that need to be going to the government or if the government needs to push the the grants more and, and that sort of way, or is it fintechs that really should be taking advantage and sort of filling this gap in the market? I think it's a bit of a a bit of a cop out answer, really. But it, it's all of them, right? You can only the government needs to do more, but they can only do so much before it's on the customer to really take advantage of it and investigate to see see what can be done. I mean, you said Tom that you were unaware of. Um, unaware of like the findings that uh that snug found and you know make that two of us at the very least probably three i'm not gonna speak for polly but i'm imagining that's three of us but anyways yep there we go that's three of us so i think in that regard you know there's only so much like the government could keep pushing these grants 
but that wouldn't make us any more the wiser, really. And I think having fintechs really can help fill that gap, at least the initial the initial sort of learning process, if you will, of understanding it, getting your foot in the door, essentially, and understanding, oh, okay, so this is how I can be being more more aware of my emissions, for example. And I think the reason that Snug can be so helpful is especially in the cost of living crisis that we're in at the moment. I think that that is really where it can shine and sort of show that, you know, the the drastic outlook that everyone has. It's not great, obviously, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's just about being aware of these alternative uh, financing options that perhaps people aren't aware of. So I think all in all, I mean, it's something that we've said before when talking about if companies can really do more or if it's on the customer to take the incentive. It It's a bit of both. But yeah, I think it's a great start at least. And hopefully it's something that will see some more adoption and in turn become bigger so that more people are aware of it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, certainly something that needs more work from all parties, as you said. And uh, it's something, especially with the cost of living crisis, rising interest rates, something that if we can capitalize on ASAP to try and save people money while making the UK more efficient, you know, it can only be a good thing for all parties involved as long as uh, all parties are honest about what is involved. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on then uh, to my article, which is again in the ESG realm. Um, Essentially, there is a new report released from KPMG showing that 75% of companies globally feel that they have a long way to go to be ready to have their ESG data assured. Um, especially as the deadline for the new regional and international sustainability reporting standard uh, is on the horizon. So essentially it found that only 25% of companies feel that they have the ESG policies, skills and systems in place to be ready um, for this ESG data assurance. And I thought this was a really interesting uh, one to bring to the table today, specifically um, because the report found that companies valued at over $10 billion tend to be more ESG assurance ready, um, whereas organizations with a five to ten billion dollar evaluation scored um, a lot less, and then those under five billion uh, scored a lot less on their scale as well. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting. Obviously, it, it's not wholly notable because if you've got more money, then you've got more resources to dedicate to ESG concerns and other aspects of your business. But I just thought it was um, a really interesting idea that there needs to be more help in place for those lower lower valuation companies to in order to be ESG assurance ready. And especially for, you know, to be ESG assurance ready means um, identifying the relevant regulatory framework and having the right metrics with the systems, processes, controls and governance in place to collect and manage the data. As Larry Bradley said from KPMG, it will give companies an advantage not only when it comes to meeting new requirements, but also capturing the benefits of ESG assurance as well. Um, and it also goes into how, and the article also goes into five critical steps um, from the report that companies are taking in order to become ESG assurance ready. Uh, so it's determining applicable ESG reporting standards, building robust ESG governance and developing the right skills, identifying the applicable ESG discourses and necessary data requirements, digitizing ESG data processes and ensuring high quality data, 
and working with the value chain to collect ESG information. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. Obviously, I've spoken a lot and just like thrown a lot of jargon out, but I'd love to know what you guys think about the whole ESG reporting thing and ESG assurances. We kind of talk about it a lot in terms of, you know, uh, reporting standards at ESG, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, Tom, let's go to you first. Yeah, I thought this was, uh, again, a very interesting topic. The first thing that hit me was old firms under 5 billion are struggling. I was thinking, surely, you know, if you're valued over 1 or 2 billion, you've got enough spare cash to to really make an impact. But uh, So I thought it was really interesting what Mike Shannon, the global head of ESG Assurance at KPMG, was saying. Um, he was basically explaining that while most companies have been doing some voluntary reporting on sustainability issues, they haven't typically, the, the, the way they've been reporting them haven't been subject to the same standards and controls and oversight that will be needed to meet the new regu- regulatory requirements um, that are coming in. And I thought that was interesting that in most cases, they will probably be thinking, right, we're, we're voluntarily reporting our, our ESG stats and that will make us ready. But actually, when it comes to it, when these regulations come in place, it's not going to be enough for them to to meet the standards that are required of them. And most of them are going to fall short. So I think it's a really interesting topic because obviously there is help required, regardless of the size um, of these companies, whether it be £5 billion pounds of valuation or, or less, in helping them meet ESG requirements and targets. Because at the end of the day, if not, we're just going to be left in a space where everyone's kind of trying to meet these standards, but most of them will actually be failing. Um, I'm sure the vast majority of companies are valued under five billion. So I think that would mean that most of them are guilty of of not meeting the standards. So I think it's a it's clearly a space that more needs to be done and, and more work needs to be provided, and more help needs to be provided from both the regulators and I guess just the the governments in in supporting better communication when we're talking about ESG. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I, I definitely agree with your first point about the whole 5 billion thing. Like, yeah, that is a lot of money. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, I would be interesting to see the results maybe for like a lot smaller companies, like relatively speaking, like, I don't know, 5 million. That's still a ridiculous amount of money, but that would be an interesting one for sure. Uh, but Francis, what do you think? <clears throat> I think... Well, I agree with everything that's been said so far, but I think the stat that I found most interesting was sort of looking at, from a geographical point of view, the ESG readiness of certain countries. And I thought it was really interesting that sort of the mix that there really was, that, for example, France, Japan and the US took the top three spots for being most ESG assurance ready. Meanwhile, Brazil and China were the lowest two. And I thought to myself that, I really wouldn't have wouldn't have expected China to be at the very bottom. For some reason, I would have thought that they'd be higher up. So I found it really interesting to sort of see the divide, to see that there isn't really one region that's leading the way. Really, I mean, maybe you could argue that the that the Americas are because of how high up the or North America is specifically because of how high the US is. But I think really, when you look at it in a grander scheme of things, there really isn't one outright leader i don't think i think it's interesting to see that all the different regions are playing their part to an extent and obviously there are a few few that are lagging behind but that's not to say that they can't change and and improve and i do think it is interesting that 
well, to be honest, it, it doesn't surprise me too much that it is the firms worth under five billion that need need more help in ESG insurance because it's just that that age old thing that we always talk about is the limited resources. And I'm again, five billion, as you said, is a lot of money. So it's not to say that these organisations that are say four billion don't have resources because they certainly do. But I mean, four billion compared to a twenty billion, I don't know, something along those lines. Do you know, what I mean, it, it does it does add up. And I think it is very interesting to sort of see that there is a big divide. And I think it will definitely be interesting to see in a few years time, these organizations, if they continue to grow, if their ESG assurance attitudes change, or if it is a fact of just perhaps it's in the company's culture, it's in the nature that it isn't going to be very um, ESG friendly, but hopefully that's going to change. And hopefully that we'll see an improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much, guys, for another week of very interesting discussion. If you would like to hear any more about any of the articles that we've spoken about today um, or anything else about the fintech world, for that matter, head on over to thefintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights over there. Uh, But very quickly, let's move on to what I learned this week. So each week, so much new news and information crosses our desks, being on the Fintech Times editorial team, that we're learning something new about fintech all the time. So we thought it'd be fun to share that with our listeners. Uh, So Tom, what have you learned this week? This week, I learned from the Consumer Champion, which that around 46%, which equates to 7 million UK households, are struggling to keep up with their rent or mortgage payments, as millions more are at risk of falling into financial difficulty by the end of 2024, as they're forced to remortgage at higher rates. Fantastic. Well, not fantastic at all, but thank you for sharing. Uh, Francis, what have you learned this week? This week, sort of in still talking crypto as i was earlier that 67 percent of all crypto transactions in the uae exceeded one million dollars i thought that was quite interesting and what i learned this week is that through the first half of 2023 smes saw net lending decrease by 5.3 billion from new research by ebri and i thought that was uh, an interesting stat but anyway thank you so much guys for joining me once again this week it has been a pleasure to talk about fintech with you and i will catch you on the next one See you guys next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.